What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha. Hi loves, welcome back to another episode of Not Basic Blonde podcast and I'm sure so many of you know the brand Nasty Gal. So today my guest will be Sofia Amoruso and we'll be talking about how to build yourself up after a major setback. Sophia made her mark as the founder of fashion e-commerce phenomenon Nasty Gal, which she founded in 2006 and built to over 100 million in revenue. Sophia is also the author of Girl Boss, which spent 18 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, sold 500,000 copies, and was adopted into a Netflix series of the same name produced by Charlize Theron. Sophia is a founder and general partner at Trust Fund and emerging early stage venture venture fund focused on pre-seed and seed stage investments. In 2020, Sophia founded Business Class, a comprehensive digital entrepreneurship course and community for founders. Sophia has been featured on the cover of Forbes magazine, America's Richest Self-Made Women Issue, and she has been featured on covers of Entrepreneurs, Success, and Money Magazines. Sophia was also named to the Fortune 40 Under 40, Forbes 30 Under 30, and Inc. 30 Under 30, and Fast Company's Most Creative People in the Business Lists. So today, Sophia will share with us what's the best way to deal with setback, why is imposter syndrome is great for business what's the biggest challenge of being in clothing industry how to take steps towards setting and getting your financial goals how to build a business on the internet how to launch a seven-figure business without feeling overwhelmed how to create a product that sells and so much more but before we dive in don't forget to subscribe rate and review not basic blonde podcast on apple podcasts 
Hi, Sophia. I'm so glad and honored to have you on my podcast. And how are you today? I'm good. It's the weather in LA is so crazy. It's like almost snowing and yeah, it's really, really strange. Um, unusual for us. It snowed yesterday. Wow. Yeah, the, the, the end of the world is nigh. Whatever, <laughs> whatever so that means. For a way to have snow. I, I know, I know. It's crazy. It's been hot in Atlanta, like almost 80 degrees. You're so lucky. You're so lucky. I'm amazed by your career and what you've done. And I can't wait for us to dive in and for you to share all your achievements with us. So how did you go from building this $350 million brand and after it was flopped? <laughs> what? Uh-huh. Okay. That's a long story. So that's a, that was a decade of my life. Um, and I don't know if it necessarily like fully flopped. It was, a, there were a lot of lessons with Nasty Gal. So I started an eBay store when I was 22 called Nasty Gal Vintage, selling vintage clothing. I hadn't really had a job in an office. I had worked retail and record stores and shoe stores and photo labs. And just decided, okay, maybe I can make a little bit of money on eBay as a side hustle, like so many people do. And started selling things just to see, you know, test the waters. And the first few things didn't sell. And then I watched other people selling vintage. And I looked at trends and I looked at magazines and I looked what, you know, what other people were wearing and started buying that because I knew where to find vintage and I had good taste. But people weren't necessarily buying the things that I would have worn. But a business really is giving people what it is that they want. And of course, marrying it with your personality and spirit, which Nasty Gal very much was. And so from there, it grew. So I was 22 years old. Year one, the business did $75,000 in revenue. I don't know if I even considered it a business. I was an eBay power seller. And I wasn't trying to be a CEO or build a big business. I had no idea I'd be using the word nasty gal every day for the rest of my life. And year two, it did $250,000. And this is no debt and no investors. I'm flipping clothes at this point. I know where to find them. I've got this place online that gave me this amazing framework to sell things on the internet uh, and really set me up to be a business owner in ways that was really new at the time. And then year three was 1.1 million, uh, year four was six and a half, year five was 12. And this was, again, super profitable. I have a screenshot of having saved a million dollars in the bank, but the business has a million dollars in it. And then my personal, it's Wells Fargo, my personal account has like 8,500. And then I have a $2,500 credit limit. So I was just focused on the business. I didn't really want stuff. I didn't have time to spend money. My rent was cheap. And it was around then in 2012 where the company was on its way from 12 million to what we predicted to be 28, which it ultimately did become the following year, that investors showed up and they said, what is this? This is a freak show. People don't build businesses like this. This is has happened so quickly. And it was venture capital. And so there are different kinds of investors. There are people who invest in companies and they expect maybe their money to double at some point. Venture capital invests in high risk companies that could become billion dollar businesses and they expect those businesses to 
10x their investment, not double. So they valued the company at $350 million. And I still owned 80% of it, which meant that on paper, I was worth something like $280 million. And from there, you know, they'd invested 60 million and we hired a hundred people in a year. Uh, I'd never managed people before. I'd never worked in an office and hired great executives, um, hired an amazing team, got a beautiful office space. And because it had grown so fast, I never really had to learn the fundamentals, like understanding finance in the way that most people have to in the beginning because they're managing cash flow and their businesses are not exploding. So between my lack of experience and then in some ways the early success of Nasty Gal, there was a foundational element that I had really missed with that, you know, amazing, amazing trajectory. Ultimately, we built the company to over a hundred million million dollars in revenue annually. And at that point, we were looking for more investors. And our investors expected their the price they paid to double. So of course they want the percentage of the company they own for their $350 million, which was 20%, to become worth over a billion so that their investment is worth more. That's how it works. And their expectations were very, very high. And it became hard to raise money. And this is something you're seeing now in the world with all of these startups. And I'm an angel investor. I've invested over a million dollars of my own money into startups. They're not able to raise money because now the economy has shifted and investors are like, "Mm, you're overpriced. Or maybe we don't feel like investing in fashion right now. And so even if you have a successful company, the investor sentiment can change and your uh, goals aren't always aligned with the uh, goals of your investors. And so ultimately, after 10 years uh, and $100 million in revenue and the 40 under 40 and the 30 under 30 and the Inc. 500 and you know fastest growing retailer in America and every list and business magazine cover, the cover of Forbes, Nasty Gal couldn't raise money. So ultimately we sold in chapter 11 to a company called Boohoo out of the UK. They own Pretty Little Thing. They own a lot of fashion startups and the company sold for $20 million, which still in the end, I built a company that sold for $20 million. It wasn't a billion or what investors might've anticipated, but I still consider that a success. And through that, I've learned so much. And I guess What I'm leaving out was that in 2014, two years before I left Nasty Gal and before that happened, I wrote a book called Girl Boss, and it spent 18 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. It sold half a million copies. It was in every bookstore and airport in the country, and it just, people called it a movement. I don't really want to call anything I've ever done a movement. I think that sounds really strange, but it inspired a whole generation of women who had never seen a community college dropout start a business that became really big with all of the tools on the internet that they had access to. Wow, eBay, Etsy, PayPal, Shopify, Venmo. Everybody has these tools. And the people that historically would be considered business owners um, are now 
people, you know, entrepreneurs or MBAs or people who went to, you know, squares who went to business school, it's everybody. You're an entrepreneur. The person who does my eyelash extensions, which I don't have right now, is an entrepreneur. And that may have been something that even 10 years ago, that person was in a salon. They didn't have an Instagram account. It was just their name. But now there's an Instagram account for their business. They have a website. Their business has a name. They have to create a brand. They're creating content. They're, they may have a podcast and they're monetizing their business in different ways. So Girlboss really kind of shed a light on the fact that that was possible for a lot of people. And then they made a Netflix series called Girlboss that Charlize Theron produced. And that was really interesting. Uh, there was a girl named Sophia starting a business called Nasty Gal. And that came out right after Nasty Gal fell apart, sold for 20 million, whatever you want to call it, as I was just kind of starting over. And so that was a very, that was a really, really wild time of many things happening all at once. But so it's a long story. That's, that's the story. And there's so much more. But for the sake of introducing myself, I'm Sophia Maruso. And that was the first 10 years of my career. What a tremendous story. I, I know, I mean, you know, before I interview every guest, I researched their bio and I studied their bio, but I just wanted you to actually tell my listeners the whole story. And when I told some of my friends about you, they were like, oh my God, the girl boss is coming on your podcast. She's like, uh, one of my friends was like, I read her book and oh my God, the nasty girl, all of this, like, because nasty girl is very popular brand still, and everyone loves it because of kind of styles and clothes they have and it's just an incredible story yeah. how I admire you so much thank you thank you <laughs> yeah and congratulations on all of your success I mean what you've done is amazing you know you're an entrepreneur and it's not an easy thing to do and you've created something really special and you know here I am on your wildly successful podcast and I'm excited to be here and it's just so cool meet other business owners and female business owners and people who have created their businesses from nothing so congratulations on that because a lot of the time people don't say that to you and thank you so much nice to hear thank you I appreciate you and you succeeded also in very oversaturated market because closing business and having closing brand it's so oversaturated and it's like fast paced and it's always changing but what helped you to succeed and have this business growing all the time yeah it was really it was a, a different time when I started so this was in like 2007 and there wasn't a lot online there it was pretty wide open and there were apparel businesses online but they were dumping clothes on a model with no accessories, cutting off their head. And it was just like a t-shirt kind of dumped on a model. It wasn't styled very well. And with Nasty Gal, I realized I could infuse a lifestyle into a person with the casting of the model, with the style of it, with the copy and the description of the product. And of course, the product that I curated ultimately amounted into a brand and not just a retailer or someone selling clothing. And the spirit of Nasty Gal was something that really cut through. Over the years, it became 
really well copied. You know, we had models going to, you know, who were also modeling at Forever 21 and Forever 21 was asking what our lighting setup was. And a lot of these bigger brands were trying to reverse engineer the style of Nasty Gal. Ultimately, when you want to build a business that cuts through the noise, you have to lean into your personality and what you're really great at. And it's easy for us to think that nobody's going to like that or, you know, we're weird or different or, and that's the thing that really differentiates you. It's the main thing that differentiates you. It's your personality and your spirit and your taste level and also your ability to adapt as an entrepreneur and listen to what people want and marry what it is that your customers are telling you with what it is that is unique to you. Um, Apparel is hard. There's room for people doing different things. There's a lot of clothes online, but whether it's a business that sells swimsuits that have a built-in corset that you can't see or an activewear brand that does something unique, there's always an angle you can take in apparel that differentiates you from who else is out there. It just may not be obvious at first. And so many entrepreneurs, when they start trying to start a brand, they try to reinvent the wheel. And what would you do when you're trying to start a brand? What would be your best advice? You don't need to reinvent the wheel. And especially even with your product, you can change something just a little bit and it can feel wildly different. And I think some people think what they're doing has to be the most novel or different thing in the world, but success, other businesses are successful and there's a lot to learn from them. Even if it's their website design, okay, the add to cart button is here. They must've tested that. Maybe there's a reason their checkout flow looks like that. They've paid people and they've tested and they've figured out what the placement of that button you know, where that works best for people to click on it and convert. And those are things you don't have to reinvent. Uh, Great brands, I think, speak to people where they are. A lot of brands now require the, the founder to be in front and for them to have a personality and be creating content. And whether you like it or not, that's part of building a brand now. Um, brands build communities now. So it's not just having a cool logo, cool colors, cool photography. You know, I think Outdoor Voices did a really good job of this. Ty Haney built a community around Outdoor Voices and people being athletic, but not athletes and people being active, but not professionals and making fitness not feel like such an intimidating thing like Under Armour or some of these other performance activewear brands did. So getting people to really rally around what you're doing and feel included is essential to a brand. You want your brand to be a mirror for what it is that other people aspire to be while still bringing them along for the ride. You don't want to alienate them by being too far ahead or too cool or too, you know, ahead of the game. But you want to be differentiated you want to be a little bit ahead and you want people to aspire to be you or have the style the model or the clothing and they can strive for that and they can achieve it and it's just a little bit ahead of them and and that's something that's what 
that's what great brands do. They give people permission to be themselves. I love that. As you know, part of my brand is the same as well. Like not basic one stands for be yourself, be unique, never basic. And Mm -hmm. basically don't ever be afraid to stand out and don't ever be afraid to be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's what, what is there to lose? Somebody says no. Yeah. And the people who don't like you, they self-select out. Mm-hmm. So you learn when you're yourself, you'll learn more quickly who's right for you and who's not. If you pretend to be somebody else, the wrong people are going to stick around and the people who are right for you are going to be diehard fans and they'll continue to support you. And you don't need a ton of them to build a brand and to build a community. Yeah, so true. What is the best way to deal with setbacks? I've had a lot of setbacks. I've had public failures. We all have failures. And I think people see someone out in public going through it and that it's so much harder. And that just because I stuck around or I didn't hide or here I am on a podcast, even though I've had ups and downs that everybody has watched, that I'm so much more resilient. And the fact is that everybody's experiencing setbacks Everybody experiences failures. Not all of our ideas are great. And that's the opportunity for us to learn. So when things don't work out, it's a gift. And it's something that if you read into it, if you look at it and you think, you know, what, it is, what is it that I could have done differently? Or maybe the timing was wrong. Sometimes things are, you know, are out of your control. That's okay. It's, you know, we have time. You know, a lot of your listeners are probably pretty young. You have a whole lifetime. I've started like four businesses and I'm 38. That's the was 10 years and I still have, you know, four businesses. So people think they need to be doing the same thing for the rest of their career because they committed to something. And the fact is that it's okay to move on. Not everything works. And other people will expect you to be the person that you set yourself up to be the girl boss, not basic blonde. In 10 years, you may not want to be not basic blonde. You may want to be basic blonde. You may want to be something totally different. You may want to have a different brand. And it's important to keep moving and not let other people's expectations force you to stay where you are just because you're attached to what you're doing if it's not working out. When things don't work out for me, when I experience setbacks, I try to imagine myself a year from now. And I think about how much perspective I'll have and how small that problem will seem and how much time I spent thinking about it and struggling with it because we spend more time than we really need to worrying and being ashamed and beating ourselves up and a year from now I just imagine myself with the perspective that I know I'll have and put into perspective now the fact that that will happen and that this is just a part of life and that I can learn and I'll rebound and I will always land on my feet and all will be well. I love it. Usually I think of setbacks. It's the way to come back for the stronger comeback. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm thinking if I got 
setback, then I'm just getting started in this little pause mm-hmm. to take a moment and to come back stronger. Yeah. So business class, I have this online course for entrepreneurs called business class, which launches twice a year. It's launching again in April and we have an Instagram account and we post quotes sometimes. And one of the great quotes this week that we reposted or, or posted was you, you didn't come back from hell empty handed. Yeah. <laughs> and we all experience hell, but we all bring something back with us. And it's a matter of identifying what that is and what it is that you can do with it because there's always something to do with it yeah so true yeah i love how you said it too like you always bring something with you because you bring first of all a ton of experience and of course positive outcome still even after absolutely you just keep going yeah why do you think imposter syndrome is great for business is great for business? I think that's such an interesting question because most people say, how do I deal with imposter syndrome? I think imposter syndrome is dangerous, but I also think that always believing you're an underdog forces you to work harder. And maybe you are an outsider and that's an advantage. And maybe you actually don't belong and that's okay because you get to choose where you belong. And when you're a shoe in and you belong and your family, you know, your education, everything was perfect and you don't have imposter syndrome. And I'm sure you know, everybody experiences imposter syndrome. You're not struggling as much and you don't have to be as creative. It is. And back to, you know, setbacks, it's through adversity that we learn. And I think about cross training and that if you just run every day, there's certain muscles in your body that will fatigue. But when you do different things in life and when you feel like you don't belong and you have to feel your way around in the dark, you map things in a way as an imposter or as an outsider or as an underdog in ways where you can feel the landscape and everything and have a a better understanding sometimes than the people who are more obvious to be in that room or sitting at that table. So imposter syndrome can be something that fuels you. I will always have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. It's not out of ego. It's really out of curiosity and knowing that I don't know everything and imposter syndrome being maybe the harsh end of that just continues to make me a curious person and creative and approaching things in a new way as someone who doesn't belong. And that's okay. I feel like when I am experiencing imposter syndrome, it means I'm growing and I'm going into the new level because if I would feel comfortable, it means I didn't grow and I'm still in my comfort zone, but sometimes imagine it and after be it. So kind of first you imagine it and go towards it. And after you actually get it and imposter syndrome just vanishes yeah or you just go through another portal and you're in you know you move into some new space and you can only hope you're moving into new spaces and learning and achieving something and wow I'm in a different place I'm an imposter here but guess what I'm going to learn what I need to do I'm going to move through that enter a new door and I'll be an imposter for a little while but I'll learn what I need to do and that's okay yeah 
And after you sold your company and after it was um, all figured out, what did you do? Did you start a new journey? I mean, I know you mentioned you started four businesses. Which one was your yeah. next? Yeah. So after Nasty Gal, Girl Boss, you know, the Netflix series was hitting. The book had made so much noise. The book was almost more well-known than Nasty Gal. And there was such excitement about it that my next company I started right after I left Nasty Gal. And it was called Girl Boss. Surprise, surprise. And we held conferences for women in LA and New York over the course of three years. I had a podcast called Girl Boss Radio for five years with over 25 million downloads. Um, I, you know, we had a newsletter, we had a big newsletter list. We did deals with brands. So we found ways to align ourselves with brands like Uber or Goldman Sachs, companies with big budgets who wanted to reach women and had maybe services in the gig economy or with finance or, you know, Shopify was a partner, um, SoFi was a partner. And we were able to kind of harness those brand dollars and bring those brands to our community at Girlboss and then also create programs and content and events for the women that followed Girlboss that gave them a lot of value. So it felt really like a win-win to work with brands and do sponsored things, which sometimes can feel really salesy. But at Girlboss, we were creating a lot of value, both for the people listening to the podcast, for example, or attending the event, and also for the folks that sponsored it. And that was a really fun ride because we got to be creative with someone else's budget and then also do things that really resonated and helped our community. So we did that for about three years. COVID hit. We couldn't do events. I had sold the company at the end of 2019 and stayed on, but it became clear that it was it was just a much harder business and someone else was there to run it. So I moved on and in late 2020, I created another brand which I absolutely love and it's called Business Class. And it sounds like a really boring name, but it's actually kind of a pun because it's a course for entrepreneurs, but it's all aviation themed. So I'm dressed up like a Pan Am flight attendant and all of the modules are called flights and the lessons are called legs and it runs for 10 weeks. So there's seven flights, but we have three break weeks, which we call layovers. And it's just really fun and beautiful and it makes entrepreneurship and learning about entrepreneurship really fun. So we have thousands of students in business class. It launches twice a year and I teach it. It's on demand, but we also, it's guided over those 10 weeks. And I cover everything from finding your strength to validating your idea, whether you have a business or are thinking about starting a business, have a couple ideas, we go and we map those and we test them and we think about your competition. We find your customers, we talk to your customers. We put out our MVP or minimum viable product, which could be a prototype, it could be a presentation, it could be something really small. Get feedback from users before we go all in and spend a bunch of money creating something we don't know that people are going to like. And then we go through everything from legal and finance to branding to customer loyalty and leadership and beyond. So it's really comprehensive. It launches again in April. Um, you can join the waitlist at businessclass.co. 
uh, it's something I'm really proud of. And at this stage in my career, what I really, really enjoy is what we're doing right now is, you know, passing along all of the information I've gathered and all of the learnings I've had after 15 years as an entrepreneur. And instead of continuing to apply it every day, and I do have a business with business class. I don't, I'm not ready to build something with a lot of employees, but for the people starting businesses and for the founders that I also invest in, because I'm an investor, to just be able to harvest that hardship and pass that along is so gratifying. And that's my product. I guess that's my product is what it is that I've learned. And it's easy. It's there. It's sitting there for free. My relationships, my Rolodex, my expertise, um, my you know, my, my talent with branding or whatever that might be where I can help business class students. It's what I really thrive on and that I get to do that every day is so rewarding. It's the best. I love it. I love it. It's incredible. So whoever wants to learn about business, they should join in April, right? Yeah, absolutely. When you had over hundred employees with Nastigal, how did you handle all the employees and business management skills and did you you didn't have any business management skills as you mentioned previously and how was it it was hard it was you know it was hard just because I built a hundred million dollar revenue business and had hundreds of employees doesn't mean that I was any more qualified than any than anybody listening to this podcast so I think we look at the people out there who are highly productive people or who have achieved things it's easy to think that they have some special recipe, but they're struggling behind the scenes, even if everybody thinks that they're winning and they don't, they're feeling their way around in the dark and they feel like imposters. And so I didn't know how to lead. I'd never had a boss other than someone that told me to clock in and clock out and sell shoes, right? I was at a disadvantage. And while it was a really serendipitous story, wow, this community college dropout started this business that got really big. In the end, I wish I had experience for anybody listening who's thinking about starting a business. You know, of course you want to just go do it as soon as you can. But if you can work for another entrepreneur, you can work in a business and learn the ropes and even understand what working on teams is like, or even manage a few people. When you do start your own business, you'll have a bit of a framework for what that looks like. And you'll have an understanding of what it is that people need as an, as employees and as teams, both to be managed and led because management and leadership are different things. I hired executives that had careers for longer than I had been alive, right? Chief financial officer, chief human resources, chief operating officer, eventually a CEO. And I thought these grownups would show up, look at my business that I had done a great job with, but, you know, hadn't formalized in the way that big businesses do and expect them to just diagnose it and go do what they needed to do to continue growing it and organize it and create processes and the kinds of things that I'm not really great at because I'm a creative. And I didn't realize that I needed to hold them accountable. And that even though someone says they're going to do something, they don't always do it. And it doesn't matter how much you're paying them. And I learned the hard way that I had to check in and hold them accountable and say, are you still doing this? Wait, I'm paying you $250,000 a year. 
And I have to continue telling you what to do. And that's normal. That's management. But as someone who woke up every day, knew what needed to be done, and then did it, and nobody was telling me what to do, I just didn't have the empathy for what's what people need to be successful. And everybody needs something different. And teams need something different than what a solo entrepreneur needs. So I very much learned that the hard way. I also learned that building culture early is important. So even if you're a business of one or have one employee thinking about what kind of culture you want your company to have and setting an example as a founder of that is important. Um, And sometimes even writing that down, we go through that in business class, here's our values. And you don't just put them on the wall. They're not lip service. You actually have to live them every day. And you have to hold yourself accountable to those values. And you have to hold your team accountable to those values because the rest of your team will fall to the level of the lowest performer. And if you don't enforce a high performance culture, and if you don't enforce a positive culture or your values, other people will see that that doesn't really mean anything and they'll think it's a joke and they'll lose respect and they're just going to do whatever they want. So it's important that Again, what you say you're going to do, which is build, even building cultures, the thing that you do and you hold everybody accountable to. And ultimately, people want to be held accountable, which again, I don't relate. I don't like being told what to do, but I'm an anomaly in that way. And as an entrepreneur, I think it's important for everybody listening, if you are one, to know that what other people need to be successful may not be what it is that you need to be successful. I love it. And I love how you said it, building culture and kind of setting standards. I spent eight years in IT project management before I started my own brand. And I was just so sick of (laughs) just corporate America and the culture there. And what I've noticed, I used to also do onboarding for executives and all the other roles in the company so i would see different people and i would just and plus i would work with so many people too i manage huge projects so i saw it sometimes that even executives or paid (laughs) great amounts they actually don't do anything or they do as less as possible because they feel entitled because they're getting paid more and they have a high position. So they don't really have to do anything. They're just there to just tell other people what to do. As soon as you hire an executive, they're like, okay, I need a team. So you hire one person. And if they're really senior, they're in, unless they're scrappy and they're ready to get in on the ground level with you and do the work, most of them will just mean that you your business gets more expensive and then you have to hire more people because they just want to tell people what to do. They don't want to do it anymore. And that's just, that's not how I work. So I never want to, I never want to have a big organization again because I realized I'm really good at building brands and starting things, but I don't enjoy, nor am I good at uh, holding very expensive people accountable. Uh, So I know my strengths. And uh, it's taken a really long time and a lot of hardship to learn that. And that's, again, it's part of the journey. It's going to happen to everybody. So true. And I have so many women asking me, 
what is a great business to start? What should I do? Which brand should I start? And that's like kind of the main question everyone asks right now. What is kind of popular right now? And what do you think? Mm -hmm. What is your best advice? If you're thinking about starting a business right now, go look at what other people are doing. Don't necessarily do the same thing, but look at their oldest Instagram posts. Look at what they were doing before they had their business. Look at their experience and look at what it was that set them up to be successful at what it is that they're doing. Look at, go on LinkedIn and look at how big their team is. Maybe you don't want a team that big. Uh, look at the people that they've hired or their first employee and what the background of the person is. And then think about your strengths. You know, is that the kind of business that you want to have? How can you lean into your strengths? Are you great at creating content? The creator economy is massive and it's not going anywhere. And you don't even necessarily need brand sponsorships to make a lot of money as a creator. You can transact directly with your audience. You can have memberships. You can have a Patreon. You can have a podcast that's subscription-based. You can create online courses or e-guides. What I would say is if you're not an expert in something, make yourself an expert in something watch the pros, watch how they're marketing their businesses, do it the same way in terms of the mechanics and how often, maybe how often they're posting or the length of their posts and, you know, study that, try different things, test and iterate, and then lean into what it is that you're great at and be yourself and be unique. Right now, I would, I would advise people to create content. Um, and to create information, products, or courses, or things that allow them to make a business out of themselves, because it's a lot harder to manufacture clothing. And, you know, like we talked about, that's something you can do once you have an audience. But having an audience first is a huge, huge asset. Um, so I think you're a great example of that. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a great advice because so many people don't have budget to start and they just want to start with something. So right now there are so many options online, like you mentioned subscriptions and building your audience and creating courses. And I see so many people do that. And even the smaller audiences, they create huge um, empire, like six, seven figure income. So it's like no one, nothing is stopping you just... Mm -hmm. Keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much information out there. I actually have a guide I created that's like 65 pages and it's called the monetize your passion guide. Wow. And this is an example of me being an expert in something, creating a product for people. It's like $49 and it tells you all of the ways that you can make money online and to do it with almost no or absolutely no investment. So that's at creator.businessclass.co, but people have found a lot of value in that. And if you're starting out as a creator or you are one, you want to think about all the ways that you can monetize across everything from Twitch to uh, YouTube to TikTok to OnlyFans to podcasts to eBooks, it's all in there. So if you know that's something you're interested in, I would really recommend checking that out. That's a great idea. And also you created... You created the trust fund for brands. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, just um, so you're an investor and you just started something called trust fund. 
Oh, for founders. Yeah. So you created the trust fund for founders. So how does it work? And what's the idea? Yeah. yeah. So it's called trust fund and it's for, it's a traditional investment fund. So similar to the investors I had, I'm investing in other businesses. I'm not investing in apparel businesses because it is really hard to build a really big apparel business, especially now because it is a crowded space. Uh, but I'm investing in early stage companies. I'm investing 150K checks alongside other really smart investors in mostly tech-enabled businesses, so uh, both healthcare, so I've invested in a fertility startup, also in fintech, so I invested in a Robinhood competitor and another business that allows people to fund their businesses uh, in an alternative way and access capital. So. Uh, on the finance side, both for individuals and for businesses to access money, save money, invest their money, make money. And speaking of making money, the third area I'm investing in is any tool that entrepreneurs can use. And that could mean a link in bio product, uh, something for the creator economy, uh, an, a, a platform where people can build community, where they can monetize their audience, marketplaces like Etsy. Uh, ways for people to possibly sell their businesses, um, payments, you know, productivity tools and collaboration tools like Slack or Asana or Notion or ways for people to organize themselves and collaborate. So you know, I watched in 2007, there was eBay and PayPal. There was no Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, Instagram. It was a lot harder to build a business and to market your business. And as someone who stared into the white space, the void for years, wishing there were all of these products that there are today. I'm actually a little bit envious of people starting businesses today because they have all of these awesome tools to start businesses. And because I understand what I didn't have and what people need to build businesses, I have a real advantage to understanding what products and services entrepreneurs need to build their businesses, whether they are a startup and they need these tools and they have teams, or they're a freelancer who needs to build a website or needs to use Calendly to book clients, right? Those are tools for entrepreneurs that even support someone who, like I said, is doing eyelash extensions. She needs a booking tool. Uh, she needs to market her business. She might be using Plan, and Plan has a business account uh, where you know to to schedule your social media. These are all B two B tools, business to business is what they call it. But I see them as tools that the average person is using. The ninety nine percent of us who are business owners but didn't go to business school can use to accelerate our businesses, establish our businesses make money, understand our businesses, find customers, organize ourselves, uh, streamline things. And that's, so those are the areas I'm investing across. And it's just fun to, I find it wildly fun to meet founders, see their ideas, see where the future's going, see trends before they happen. And because like I said, I'm a zero to one founder. I don't really like building things past launching it in the first couple of years, love building brands. So I feel like I get to do that over and over and over again with all these companies. 
and help them through the growth phase where they're hiring a lot more people and executives and share with them what I did right and what I did wrong, but I'm not doing that myself. And like I said, with business class and with now trust fund, my venture fund, I'm just harvesting everything I've learned for 15 years on behalf of a new generation of entrepreneurs. And it's what I wake up every day to do. I would do it for free and I do do it for free sometimes, but it's also great to invest in these companies, really back them, and then also make money for my investors when those companies do well. I know you mentioned this, but do you think you would ever, maybe later on, start a apparel business? I think it would have to be a really specific apparel business, like a niche. I just saw a really cool women's outerwear brand. I'm going to find it. It's really pretty stuff, and I'm not going to invest in it. I wish I could, but it's outside of what I've told my investors I'm investing in. So I have to be very disciplined about it. It's called Half Days, H-A-L-F-D-A-Y-S-S.com. And you know, right now you can go get Patagonia or Burton to go in the snow. And I don't know, like the long johns are, you know, aren't very cute. And the jackets are kind of cute. Like the stuff is really cute. Like I want to wear it and I've never seen, it's differentiated and it's, you know, that if there's technology baked into it, I think it might be sustainable. So that's something that's really unique. You know, skims is unique. So apparel, maybe, but would I just have a fashion line? Probably not. Um, resale, right? the real real is an incredible business. Um, Poshmark's an amazing business. So those are called marketplaces where it's two-sided and you build this technology. Uber's a marketplace where there's a buyer and someone who has something to provide, and you're just kind of the vehicle for that, those businesses can get really big. So technically those are apparel businesses, but uh, with marketplaces, that's a software business in a way. And then were it to be just a direct-to-consumer apparel business, I would be doing something that's really niche and um, differentiated and not just fashion because Boohoo, and everyone else is going to win on scale and they're going to have everything and they're going to ship it faster. Uh, and that's not a game that I really would want to be playing in. Why do you think those companies are still in business like Fashion Nova and all Pretty Little Thing and all those? I, I partnered with Pretty Little Thing. I think, because yeah, I think fast fashion is yeah. alive and well because it's cheap. Yeah. yeah. And people want to buy cheap stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we wear... You wear a shirt on your podcast. I don't know if you're going to wear that shirt or dress or whatever it is next week. You know, we're taking pictures on Instagram. We feel like we need to wear something different all the time. I think that's why Rent the Runway is really interesting because it because it is sustainable and people are, you know, wear something once and then they can return it to Rent the Runway and rent it again. I think um, vintage is another option from fast fashion. Um, and there's really affordable stuff on places like Poshmark. Um, But it's because people want something new all the time. At this stage in my life, I want to invest in things that are going to last. I'm not as driven by trends. I want really great quality products that I'm going to keep for a much longer time, whether that's shoes. They're going to be more comfortable if they cost a little bit more or handbags. And that might cost a little bit more, but I've had some of the same handbags for eight years and I have shoes that are five years old that I'm still wearing. And if those were cheaper shoes, that would 
definitely not be the case. So there are alternatives to that, but you may just need to part with a little bit more money right now to have a product that lasts longer that you can wear over and over again, but maybe you style it in different ways. So true. And personally, I was not a fan of fast fashion, but till I actually became a content creator, blogger and all this because I had to have outfits. And like you said, like I took a picture in an outfit, I wore it and it's done. I don't feel like it's new anymore and I can't show up anywhere in it because everyone's seen it already. <laughs> I know, I know. And that's the only reason why I used fast fashion, but for the quality and other things, it's not the best. The quality is not that great. And mm -hmm. Usually, yeah. I didn't do it. I tried to like wait for it for the longest as I could for you know yeah. fashion items. Still, totally. I mean, and part of the reason I'm part of the reason I'm not investing in fashion or really products at all is because I've already put a lot of clothes in landfills. I think I've reached my quota in my lifetime. Not the vintage, but definitely the fashion that we sold at Nasty Gal, which wasn't necessarily fast fashion the way boohoo is you know they're selling or nasty gals now it's like 40 dollars dresses but still there's a lot of clothes out there that i sold that people aren't wearing anymore and i think sustainability is really important it's snowing in la there's a reason for that and um and fast fashion is certainly a contributor to it yeah fast fashion is definitely not sustainable and i see so many brands are creating clothing lines from recycled products. And I think that will be kind of next thing in mm -hmm. fashion industry. And yeah. what would you say the best way to set goals? It's so funny, because I feel I've created something for all of these things. I have um, a goals guide that I created and I'm not like here to be promotional because, you know, I can answer this question in one sentence, but I have, it's actually free. And it's called goals, how to set and get them. And it's learn.businessclass.com slash goals. But it starts with, you know, what's, what's achievable. I think a lot of people set crazy, crazy goals. And it's fun to kind of do that in the beginning. And it's easy to have goals that look like other people's goals and other people's lives. And want to, you want to make sure that the goals you're setting are really aligned with who you are, what you really, really want, and not something that you feel influenced to do. Um, and then really breaking out, okay, here's my goals, but how can they be actionable? Everything needs to have an action. So it's not just start a podcast, it's research podcast production by equipment. So yes, you set that goal, but goals are nothing unless you're taking action to achieve them. And so those things should both have, uh, specific action steps once you've set that goal. And then also they need to be time bound. So by when So you need to hold yourself accountable to those goals, you can the full moon, you know, do whatever you want, write it on a piece of paper, burn it. That's great. Uh, and you can manifest things by thinking positively. I mean, really that, that those things work prayer, whatever you want to call it, but you can't rely on it and you do have to take action. And when you marry those two things, it's really, really powerful. That's such a great advice. Incredible. And where can all listeners find you? Social handles, all the information. Yeah. So I'm just at Sophia Amoruso everywhere. S-O-P-H-I-A. 
A-M-O-R-U-S-O. My website is sophiamruso.com. Business class is coming up. We launch twice a year. So that's businessclass.co. You can join the wait list. I also have a newsletter um, that if you join the wait list, I think you'll be subscribed to. And then Trust Fund, you can see the companies I've invested in at trustfund.vc. And there's actually a link there where you can uh, pitch your business. So there's a form, there's an application you can fill out. So if you're interested in starting a business and you have a deck and you've really thought through it, maybe you've taken business class uh, or already have a business and you're ready to raise money, it's a company that could get really big. That's something I would invest in. Uh, you could go to trustfund.vc and submit your startup because I love seeing companies. Thank you so much, Sophia, for being my guest. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was all for today, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Not Basic Blonde podcast is available on all the major platforms with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. To support the show, tag NBB Podcast on your Instagram stories and check out more behind the scenes on Instagram as well at notbasicblonde underscore or NBB Podcast. And if you haven't, subscribe, rate, and review Not Basic Blonde Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.